filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. So on Sunday night, I think my body did not know what to do with the win that we experienced from DC United. And I just could not sleep. Like I wasn't overly hyped or anything. It's just, I think my body rejected it and my brain did not know what to do with itself in the conflict in my my mind of it being 2020 and DC United experiencing a win just prevented me from sleeping on Sunday night. And it was not, not anywhere near as pleasant as the actual win itself. Way to take that and run guys. I didn't know what to do with it. I'll be honest. With you. <laughs> this is why we usually I talk about well, I how we're going to open the show. I thought was going to continue. Uh, I, I, I didn't <laughs> no. think that you had hit I mean, a complete end point. Teeth, teeth, teeth. Well, usually I don't get to the end point. Usually I get interrupted during those those oh, opening stories. You did. You just I was, I was waiting for that. <laughs> it's true. It's yeah. true. Ben, ben brought in. Uh, Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, Black and Red United podcast and uh, Teeth, Teeth, Teeth podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley, Jason Anderson, all three of us back on the show for the first time in a, a few episodes now. If you uh, don't know what episodes. the Teeth, Teeth, Teeth tweet is, please do yourself a favor and just Google it. It's it's a delightful, slightly body horror-ish tweet, but it's great. So we're we're... we're not insane weirdos. We're just your normal level of weirdos referencing this. Thanks. <laughs> uh, tonight we are talking about not just a win, but four points in a week for DC United, which is probably the most successful seven-day period in a year or so from from the Black and Red. So we're going to talk about that. And in the second segment, we'll get into the coaching search that DC United now has officially gotten underway. Before we do anything else, though, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I was, I spent a lot of time, like my entire dinner, basically, like with one, like kind of tilted towards the liquor. So I was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Uh, and I never really thought of anything particularly note noteworthy. Uh, but eventually I was like, I want something gingery. So I have a Moscow mule. Hmm. I have a lot of vodka. Uh that's one thing I realized while I was eyeing up everything. And I was like, maybe that's what I want to do. But really it was more, give me some ginger. I want ginger in something. I don't have any cider. That would have been a nice, uh, yeah, but I, I don't, I couldn't do that. So I did this. How about you, Ben? Well, I do have apple cider mm. and I also have vodka. So I uh, <laughs> just put those two together and I have vodka and uh, apple cider. So it's, it's pretty good. 
warmed uh, like, up or iced or just room iced, temperature? Iced. Uh, yeah, I was, I was like, it's still, it was in the upper 70s today. So, uh, I, I mean, I like a good uh, mold cider, but it was a little too warm for that. So I've, I've, I've got it on ice. Yeah, that's fair. I but We did usually... get kind of a weather turn. Yeah, yeah we have this. turning towards real fall, and now we're getting like a late summer for a few days. Yeah, hopefully uh, by this weekend it, it goes away because I'm ready for fall at this point. Um, anyway, I am drinking uh, Whiskey Neat, uh, Borough Bourbon from Republic Restoratives here in D.C., just up New York Avenue from, from my house. It's good stuff. I recommend it. Um, I also recommend uh, winning games. DC United has played a couple of them uh, since our last show and didn't lose either one. Again, mm-hmm. I'm still not sure what to do with that information at this point. I'm not used to it anymore. Uh, last Wednesday, they drew 2-2 two to two at home against Philadelphia before going to FC Cincinnati on Sunday, claiming a 2-1 to one win down there. Um, I guess just to start off, get get this going, how are we feeling? Um, I, I mean, those two games are, are different enough that I, I mean, if you combine them together, my feelings are, eh? So you're not on the playoff train is what you're saying. Are you talking about playoffs? Playoffs? For, for you guys me, know I've is... been saying that I've been saying that the East is horrific uh, for quite a while now. And the reason why is that it is all the teams are bad. And so DC I mean, in the midst of is what? Horrific season, yeah, I, I believe it's five points or four five, points. Yeah, you know, four points. Five. But Chicago has a game in hand. They're in that last playoff spot. They have, yeah, but they're, they're, they're a bad they're, team. They uh, are. <laughs> all these teams are bad. So um, yeah, there is, you know, DC is not going to catch, the Red Bulls or Montreal, but like if you told me that Nashville or Chicago are just going to lose the rest of their games, I would say, okay, I can see it. Um, if you told me that DC was going to, you know, try to win and not come up with the goods enough times where they couldn't possibly clear the line, I would also say, yeah, I could see it because all these teams are pretty bad. Um, but the door is open because all these teams are quite bad. They will not put DC United away. It's like a right, horrible, but they- it's not a, they need to start. We're, we're the boarding. we're the villain in the horror movie. Yeah, is what you're saying. Right. Like and like, they won this past game, and we'll get into it. But like, they've got to win probably three to four more games because like they're still two games out. Just if everybody else in front of them loses everything, and right. like yeah. They're still under a point per game. Like their PPG is They're still well under a point per game. What point They're... a point seven nine or something? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, if, up, if from, up from gets... 0.65 before this game. If DC gets 10 or 12 points from their final four games, then yeah. maybe. Um right. Yeah. And, and you know, on one hand, the schedule is not very daunting. Uh there were there were some things a little while ago about how DC's strength of schedule was uh one of the lowest or one of the worst in the league coming in or one of the most favorable, I guess I should say. Um, And that is stacking up. I mean, DC does have to play Columbus, but their other games are Atlanta, New England, and Montreal. And Montreal's one of those teams that is no good. I've been telling everyone that the Revs are not actually a good team. The crew haven't been so good lately. Uh, They've kind of lost their edge. Hey, Jason, you know what Mm -hmm. else is not daunting? DC United. Right. 
Um, so yeah, like right. no, I don't think anyone is actually saying that. Yeah, that we are. We should Outside think of DC United room. as favorites to make the playoffs. Yeah, the locker Far room from might it. be. Continuing you to talk you about just it. did. No, I didn't. But like, I'm looking at the form guide, and like, Columbus's form over the last five games is one win, one draw, three losses. Um, Montreal has lost two of their last three. Uh, the Revs just lost a home game that was one of those classic litmus tests. Like, are you any good? You should probably win a home game at this stage of the season against another potential playoff team. And it said they lost. Um, and Atlanta, we know full well, uh, is pretty bad. And in fact, their win over DC is their only win in their last six games. So uh, this is going to be a slop fest that uh, DC might end up somehow over the line because they're, the line is extraordinarily generous this year. But um it's also not important. I think we've talked about that as yeah. well. That it, it doesn't really matter if they make the playoffs this year or not from any of our perspectives because that's that's not going to end. That that will not make this a successful season. Right, I mean, especially right. now between, that they've fired the coach. Like it, it, it's right. not between gonna... the number of teams and that that make it from the East and and also the the undaunting nature of those teams. Uh, it's it's a very low bar this year, lower than maybe it's ever been since the very early days of the league, where mm-hmm. only a couple teams missed the playoffs. Literally uh, two out of ten. Yeah, so uh, we're we're much closer to that bar. So who knows? I mean, you can make a run. You can convince yourself of anything. It's MLS. Welcome, welcome to MLS. Yeah, uh, I'm honestly feeling like I like I said at the top, I wasn't super hyped about the win. I was pleased. I was was happy with it, but I wasn't, you know bouncing off the walls. Um, and I realized I was thinking of these last couple games almost as preseason for next year is what it feels like to me. You have players trying to like, you have makeshift rosters, which you see every preseason, you have more subs than you're actually used to seeing in years of watching soccer, which is a preseason staple. Um, you have young guys getting minutes out there uh, and, and showing out. And then just the results kind of don't matter right now either. So it feels a lot like preseason, which uh, is fine. Like I, I'm, I'm not complaining about feeling like that. It's just the, the stakes seem out, at least outside the locker room for me, the stakes seem pretty low right now. And some of that is everything else that's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, entering month eight of pandemic lockdown uh, which is to say year 20 of pandemic lockdown. Um, it's just the soccer's kind of less important in a way. But we did get to see um, in, in these last few games since the coaching change, we've seen a more attacking look from DC United. Chad Ashton has them playing more on the front foot and more willing to possess. Um, it was surprisingly successful against Philly's Diamond, which I really did not expect. And then it, it dominated the game against Cincinnati. Um, ben, how are you feeling about the, the changes that we've seen from Chad Ashton? Yeah, I think he went back to basics. I think he has simplified a lot of uh, what DC United has been trying to do and uh, like took everything a step back, put people back in their natural positions, didn't ask them to do too much except when uh, injuries required it 
such as um, Yamil Assad, and we'll get yeah, into that. Yeah, I was going to call you out on that if you didn't yeah, do yeah, it yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I think he's just made it a lot more simple, just an easy, traditional 4 4 2, and not trying to uh, uh, make things interesting or creative or. Uh, uh, wackadoo or anything like that i think he's he's made it easy he's made it simple and i think getting back to basics has helped this team especially in a year where there have been a ton of injuries they're still trying to integrate uh edison flores who's been out with injuries for a long time and hasn't gotten to play a lot with uh most of these players and i think it's it's been working it's it's I don't think it's the long-term solution. I'm, uh, Chad Ashton himself is not the long-term solution, but it's a good way to reset on what's been going on this season so far. I mean, what I what I would say about the approach under Ashton has been that uh, the change, the overwhelmingly the one change of note is that instead of approaching games defensively, they've tried to go out and yeah. have some of the ball. Um, this is not a reinvention of the 4-4-2 that DC United played when they played Atlanta. Um, that was the exact same thing. It's just that now it's a little more of a loose, like, look, we're going to go out there. We're going to try and have the ball. We're going to try and create some chances. Our fullbacks are allowed to overlap. You're allowed to take a few risks here and there in possession. Uh, and if we happen to score some goals, great. Um, and you know, we'll, we'll just try and loosen up a little bit. The team is not so tight because I think they've kind of abandoned or at least moved away from, uh, thinking of every game as a, like, we're one mistake away from losing. And now it's just, let's go perform well. Uh, and it's less about if we screw up one thing, we're going to concede. And if we concede the one goal, we've lost the game. Um, so it's, it's not tactical at all it's it's a just a loosening up of what you know when we spoke to him the media spoke to him chad ashton said you know he felt the team needed to enjoy the game more and the players came to him i think i brought this up on the last show the players came to him and said we want to have fun playing soccer we want you to let us do some stuff and he said okay and you know it's easy to say that in your first press conference as interim coach uh, but the proof has been there. You know, I don't think these have been brilliant performances, but they've certainly been, especially against the union, better than I think anyone had any reason to expect. Um, and they've been not unpleasant to watch. It's not thrilling. It's still a team playing four four two. It's still kind of direct. Um, they are still struggling to integrate, uh, especially get the ball to Flores and integrate him more often. Um, I think some of the heat that he takes during games for not being involved as much is really more of a team problem um, that they are not getting him on the ball and then not getting people around him when he does get on the ball so that he can combine. But um, it's, it's been kind of a breath of fresh air. It's nothing special, um, but it's, it's nice to just see the guys go out there and, uh, you know, take some chances. Soccer is a game where, Every single thing you do is is giving away something. There is a risk to everything. Um, if you drop off and park the bus, you're giving your opponent all of control of the ball and the tempo of the game. If you try and high press them, you're giving a bunch of space in behind. So it's nice to see different risks being taken because the ones that were being taken before, I think 
we all agree were not fun to watch and and usually ended badly on top of that. So just the fact that it's a different, you know, it really is just, you know, if this is football manager, this is going and changing mindset from uh, defensive or maybe even like contain like uh, full full on extra defensive to positive. It's not even like the full stretch to attacking it, but, you know, positive. And, you know, it's been nice. Uh, if anything, DC probably should have bagged another goal in one of these games somewhere along the way. Um, yeah. But uh, I can handle that. I can handle this being a team that creates some chances and doesn't finish efficiently. That's a different thing. It's a different, it's been different covering it because the game is not so inevitable. Yeah. This team was never, this year was never super clinical in their finishing, but now they're getting more chances. They're actually creating sure. a few more chances. So they, you you can miss one and that won't be the only shot you get the entire right. game. Um, you can have, you know, Ola Kamara sky his one chance because that won't be his one and only chance necessarily. Um, same for Eric Sorga, who they both managed to do that in the last couple of games. Um, but I think there, there has been, that's a thing that forwards do. Yeah. Um, you're going to get like five, a good forward is going to take a bunch of shots. They don't all go in. In fact, most of them don't go in. Um, and we've seen, yeah. Anyway, I think, uh, some of this is, is a little tactical. The team is intentional about what they want. They seem to want to do. They want to get overloads on the wide spaces and then bring the ball in from there. Not necessarily on just by crossing a million times, like, the LA galaxy, but they, they know where they want to build. Um, they're not looking for to, to bring the ball through the center circle necessarily. There's, there's a little bit of, of tactical instruction happening there. And that's good because the players know where to look for a guy and the guy knows to be there, um, which, which helps things when you're getting the ball forward. Um, and they're moving, they're moving a lot more than they, they had without the ball. Um, they, they actually are, are trying uh, to in the attack they're not just making sure they're set for for defense and it's as jason said a, a breath of fresh air um and i i'm i'm good with this preseason <laughs> uh because of that um you guys want to talk about some individual performances over the last couple games yeah all right ben who do you want to start with pick a name any name I'll start with uh, Chris Nuiachum. He played very well in the uh, in the most recent game. He scored the goal, of course, against FC Cincinnati. He's just fast, and I like to I like that he gets to show his speed right now in this in this setup. Uh, some of it's recovery, but a lot of it is in the attacking uh, phase of the game and being able to see an attacking fullback, a speedy attacking fullback making a difference in a game is nice. And hopefully he gets more and more time because I think by now he's proven that he deserves that time. And he, he's scoring goals. He's doing a great job. So I, I want to see him get as much time as possible because he deserves it. Yeah. What what I loved about his goal, the play especially, is that wasn't a play that was he he made with his speed. Um, he read the play and then found uh, saw that the run was there and that there needed to be a body, and then actually checked his run and slowed down so that he wouldn't stray offside, and then was right. there to pounce on the the goal. It was a smart play. Yeah, um, he was he and was then he uses his speed elsewhere. 
but it was a what it was a throw in from it was a it was a turnover and he was happened to be high up the field already um it was just a really smart play and then he uses his yeah. speed elsewhere and you know you can get that stay high when you know that you have the recovery speed to get back if you need to right. um which, which definitely helps yeah i mean i would just throw in that um it's this has been a uh you know going back to when he was drafted the whole the idea was like okay this is he's a good player he's very good one v one he's obviously going to be one of the fastest players around what can he do coming forward how good is he going to be on the ball and as a rookie it was a clearly a work in progress um and that progress was interrupted uh for a while with his Hodgkin's lymphoma struggle um and then the aftermath of that was that he was out for so long and unable to train that he picked up a bunch of smaller injuries that kept taking him out of contention. Um, the fact that, you know, him and O'Neill Fisher both kind of rounded into 90 minutes fitness at around the same time. And I know my expectation was that Fisher would probably end up getting the job. They would rotate because it's one of the only spots on the team that DC had two obvious players that could rotate with these midweek games. Um, but I thought that, that in the end, Fisher would get the bulk of the starts. Um, but the team gave Otoy the, these chances and he has run with it. Um, and you know, it wasn't just the goal, like right before he scored the goal, he ended up in, uh, the center forwards position very briefly. Um, and it, it, the ball almost found its way to him. And then after the goal late in the game, this is another thing that's been nice about DC United lately. It is not okay, we're in the lead. Everyone parked the bus immediately. Um, They've still tried to go get a third if it's there. Um, And there he was, almost scoring a goal in the 86th minute in a game that the team's leading 2-1, and it wasn't like he had been pushed up. Uh, They didn't send, you know, defenders in and say, okay, Chris, you play further up the field. He was still at right back. He just, he happened to get into that spot again because, um, well, I, I asked the you know, the coaching staff about or um, Chad Ashton after the game. And he said that that's pretty much what Cincinnati left on the table. Um, and it wasn't, he did not say, Oh, it was me. I said to do that. He said, the players figured it out. They saw that this was available and they took advantage of it. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been really cool to see. I mean, you're not going to find uh, a more humble guy around MLS, quite frankly. So it's been really cool to see him uh, not just getting the minutes, but actually like, you see why he's getting the minutes. It's not a like, well, he's there. He's a right back. So he'll get these right back minutes. It's like, oh, he's actually earning it every game. He's, he's making a statement because he, unlike a lot of the guys on the team, he has a competitor that has MLS experience also looking for those minutes. So um, that's been a, a welcome development in, I, you know, a long, a long struggle at that position all year. And obviously for him, um, it's not like it was by design that he wasn't available for so long. It was not for, uh, for good reasons. So um, it's nice to see that he's finally got his feet under him and we can see what he's capable of now. All right, Jason, pick another name. Uh, I got to stay, I got to stay super local and uh, Maryland, um, but not. Donovan Pines it is. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I mean, all due respect to Donovan Pines, but uh, I, I got to talk about, Moses Nyam, and it's not just his performance against Cincinnati got a lot of praise. And part of that is that DC went to Cincinnati with two central midfielders. And by that, I mean one central midfielder and yes. one guy filling in. Um, and they both played really well. And and Nyaman wasn't just in there. He had to play 
the more defensive role because Yamil Assad was the only other player available. And that's not Nyman's natural position. You would want him not necessarily being your six, um, at least in a, in a double pivot. Uh, but he stood up to Cincinnati, I think had a tactic of let's be physical against this guy. He's the smallest guy we're going to play this year. Let's be physical. Um, they got after him early. They were swiping his legs. They were bumping him. They were knocking him down. It was a clear intent to try and throw him off, and he just wasn't bothered at all. It, did, it didn't work. Um, so all of that stuff, he got a lot of praise for his passing as well. He was involved on the game winner. Um, and so all of that stuff is really good. But I, I think it got me thinking about what, what Nyman's future is with DC United because I think we're starting to see that the hype from the people that observed youth national team games – um, and him at the club level locally, uh, I think people are starting to see that that hype was justified. This is a special player. Um, and so he's probably not going to be here at age 26. Um, he is probably going to play for DC United for some, uh, you know, maybe a couple more years, but then it is going to become European interest time. Um, thinking about the Brendan Aronson move, uh, Nyaman, at least in my opinion, is pretty hands down ahead of where Aronson was at 16. That doesn't mean that progress is not linear. It doesn't mean that he will definitely be um, better at 19. It doesn't mean that he will definitely garner a heftier transfer, but Aronson went for, it's a 6 million plus three plus a 10 to 20% sell-on clause on top of that. So the union are going to get eight figures for Brendan Aronson. Um, And if Moses Nyaman carries on a roughly uh, at this trajectory, he is going to, he should, they should, the club should bring in more money for him whenever whoever it is comes in with that money. Um, but it, they, part of this is a plan. You have to have a plan to get him these minutes. The union, to their credit, were like, let's make sure we know how Aronson uh, is going to get the minutes so that he actually gets better and that people see him getting better. Um, DC has got a logjam. Uh, in central midfield, in the in the position that because Nyam is not going to play a bunch, you can't play him all over the place. Um, so they've got a, it's a curious situation. Muhammad Abu played well, uh, but he's here yep. on loan, um, and he's you know he hasn't had these extra games because of his injury. He hasn't proven he hasn't proven that that was just a four game flash in the pan. So the loan it probably means he's going um, more than likely than not. But Russell Canals. Felipe, Junior Moreno, as of now, they're all going to still be here. Um, Yamil Assad is playing well enough as a number eight that you now have to start considering, you know, if everyone's healthy and whatever your system is going to be, maybe you need to look at that as a possibility, especially if you want to drive the team and be more attack-minded, um, which I think everyone would like to see. Um, so it has to be something on the table. Um, but unless the whoever the new coach is, we're going to talk about that, but whoever the new coach is, unless they want to take Adams uh, Diamond 361, um, <laughs> realistically, there is no way to get all of or three or even three of those central midfielders into the same formation while also fielding Edison Flores and Paul Ariola and some kind of striker and Julian Gressel and some defenders and a goalkeeper. Um, the pieces don't fit together. Someone, one of the central midfielders, probably two of the central midfielders, won't be starting. Um, and this is where the plan has to come in. This is where DC has to approach this strategically with his development in mind, maybe even at the expense of 
putting your absolute best 11 on the field every single week in 2021. Um, this year, Nyman's played 392 minutes. Um, and I feel like it's safe to say that even a very casual fan who watched the first of those minutes and then watched the Cincinnati game, you can see the growth. You can see the confidence. You can see how more how much more quickly the game is is happening for him in his head. Um, so this it's a small handful of minutes, and the growth is already there. Um, I think that if you're if DC United is serious in their coaching hunt, if they're handling this to the seriousness that I really hope they are, a question that needs to be asked of the new coach is like, "This is Moses Nyman. What do you think about him? And what is your plan?" for developing him going forward, not just two years from now, but literally next year in your first set of games as the new coach. Um, I think I would be, if it's me, if, if suddenly I'm the owner of the team and I'm in this interview, I want to hear something along the lines of a plan to get him about a thousand minutes minimum next year. And that means commit. I mean, if you stretch that over 34 games, that's about half an hour every single game. Now, I'm not saying that the coach has to send him in in the 60th minute of every single game or the coach has to go. That's crazy. Don't You shouldn't be so inflexible. Um, we also don't know, you know, what if he picks up a knock? You, you can't have a plan like that. But you do have to plan to put him on the field, and you have to stick to it if at all possible. Unless he gets a, has a bad injury or something else happens, uh, you have to have a plan to put him out there, and you've got to stick to it. Um, so – if that means saying, okay, every single time we have a midweek game, if he's available, he's in the lineup for the midweek game at the least. And don't don't cap it either. Don't say, well, a thousand minutes is the target and that's it. If he's out playing the rest of these guys, then put him on the field, you know, start him. And we are in a situation where how many central midfield performances this year does DC United have that were better than Moses Nyman against FC Cincinnati? It's not a lot. Uh, yeah. it's a short, it's a short list and Yamil Assad against Philly, I think is all, is one of them. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think this, whatever, whatever DC is going to do with Nyman in the short term, um, it needs to be very intentional and it needs to be a commitment that might result in not putting the best team on the field to face, you know, LAFC at home or some such. Um, he needs to play those games. So I, sincerely hope that whoever's coming in is coming in with the idea of not just well if he's good enough to play he'll play but like sometimes you've got to put these a player of this level if they're still training hard and they're maybe not pushing aside the the you know the second best defensive midfielder on our team you still might say like well this week we're going to go with Moses or like on Wednesday we're going to go with Moses um, and he needs to get those minutes and as long as he's earning them. If he's showing up to training and just doesn't care, then that's a, a big problem of a different kind. But if that part of the equation is taken care of, then DC United's next head coach has to be putting him on the field, even if it comes with a short term, you know, a little loss. If DC United is 5% worse on the day because they chose it, so be it. You got to put him in the games. And it, the, the same, to a certain extent, extends to Kevin Paredes and Griffin Yao as well. Um, yeah. But I, I don't think, with all due respect to those guys, and I, I think Paredes, if you had to win the game tomorrow, Paredes is better at what he does than Nyman is at what he does. Um, they're not the same player. They're not competing for those spots. But um, I think Nyman's gifts, his skill set are 
they're a little different and they're rarer. They're, this is not something you just see uh, in MLS or even elsewhere. Uh, well, I want to talk about what thing. I want to talk Go about ahead. what yeah. some of those are because you know there there are people who are saying I'm starting to get it and they're I'm I'm still seeing some people say I you know he's he's a kid he's he looks fine but I don't I don't understand what it is I'm seeing one of the things that stands out to me like obviously he's super skilled and and he's so calm on the ball he holds on to the ball really really well his movement off the ball though his ability to find pockets of space and just sit in them and own them and know where to go to to find them is is way better than any teenager should be um especially in MLS um and he's he's demanding the ball. He's thinking more than one pass ahead. Uh, there was one play that'll go down as a misplaced pass for Nyman, but um, Dewey Atchum passed the ball to him to break some pressure, and Nyman just touches it to the sideline, expecting COA to to make that run. And Dewey Atchum was just trying to, you know, make sure the shape was good, and he didn't make that run. But Dewey Atchum, or, or sorry, Nyman saw the the run that could be made and the amount of space that it would open up and made the pass. And uh, I think it was, it wasn't a bad pass. It was a good choice. It just didn't come off the, 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 the mental connection wasn't quite there, but it, it was a play that stood out to me just as how much faster he's thinking than even more seasoned vets on the team. Well, so what he brings to the table more than anything else is he changes the speed at which you can play because you can play him the ball in less space than other players uh, reliably. You know that if you put the ball where he needs it, he will get out of the trouble. I mean, the the tight spaces that DC United is willing to trust him in and that he escapes out of um, is rare across MLS. Age, age not a factor, just all MLS players – um, the amount of space he needs to get out of people attempting to tackle him, people attempting to um, just get a bump into him so that his pass is off, all of that stuff, he's able to handle it at an extraordinarily high level. Um, and a lot of it is is this, you know, Adam, Adam, you talked about the the space, the management of space, and how he's always in the space that his teammates need him to be in, so that he's always an option. Um, another thing he does is when he's receiving the ball it's always a little more economical in his, his shape to the body. He's not receiving the ball, but having to like turn and receive it and then move himself around to make the pass. He's, his feet are so quick. His balance is so good. And his sense of what's going on around him is so good that he's already, he's setting himself up to receive the ball so that he doesn't have to like take step two. It's not okay. Receive the ball, then turn, then make the pass. It's, it's, it's a two step process. It's fluid. Three. Yeah, he, he's just cutting out the steps. And so you're talking about split seconds being cut off the time he's on the ball, but those things add up. Uh, there is a domino effect that happens when you have a central midfielder that's that fluent in central midfield at receiving the ball and moving it along. Um, the fact that he, in in doing that, isn't just doing sideways passes. Um, it's not just playing safe. He's not just a good keep-away player. This is someone who can not just escape pressure, but actually dribble through pressure and be move the ball forward. Uh, he's always getting his head up to look for how can I move the ball up further to the forwards or to the wide midfielders or to my number 10. Um, he finds those gaps and he plays the pass. He's not just seeing it and like taking too long and the, the window disappears and he can't make the pass. He sees it and the pass is gone and it's accurate 
and uh, this is going to allow you to become a more attacking team. Like part of the reason DC hasn't attacked very much is that oftentimes they aren't able to progress the ball quickly enough. And it's not that the players are unskilled. It's that they just aren't quite fast enough uh, at all the computations and all the calculations you need to do about everything that's going on and see when it's safe to play this pass or when you need to, instead of making the pass, carry the ball past this guy and then you can make the pass. Um, or keep the ball and turn away because the opening is actually going to develop over here rather than the, 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 you know, that tempting ball of like, oh, this is my killer ball. This is my chance to push play. Sometimes you need to know that, you know what, this is, it looks tempting, but it's not going to work. You need to move the ball along to the left side and see what happens over there. Um, he does all of that stuff, all of these little tiny things just extremely well. And that is a big reason why when he's been in games, DC can play a, a better brand of soccer, a more more interesting brand of soccer, um, is that everyone on the field knows that if I need to pass into central midfield, which central midfielders get a lot of touches for a reason, if I need to go there, Moses is going to be open, and if I give him the right ball, he's not going to give it away, and if anything, we're going to move upfield further. His his pass isn't going to be, you know, next to him to Russell or or Yamil. It's probably going to be up the wing to to a winger, or he, maybe he's going to find. Ola Kamara breaking in behind. So um, it's that. It's it's what he opens up for everyone as much as it is what he does directly. Um, it's sort of like watching good filmmaking uh, in a way that <laughs> when you watch a bad movie, you might not be able to articulate exactly why it's bad, but you can feel it. And, you know, a good a good director is the one that you just don't have that feeling of like, well, why is it? Why are we looking at it from this angle? This sucks. I can't tell what's happening like i'm confused geographically where where am i in the house who's over there i don't you know this is the kind of thing that happens uh in a like a a dc comics uh, fight scene where it's just a series of fists and feet flying and guys grunting at each other it's boring and you don't know what's going on and your mind shuts off you don't want to see it if if moses nyman was making movies you would understand where everything is coming from all the time it would be very easy for you the viewer to interpolate what's going on and not need to know, not need a cut to say like, Oh, he's over there. Don't worry. Or have someone tell you like, Oh, and by the way, the third guy is around the corner. Don't forget. Um, because the, the, it just, it, everything's easier. It, it just, that's all it is to it. it he just, this was not the analogy I was expecting, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, are we ready to move on to the next one or I, I'm happy to wax more poetic about Moses Nyman. Uh, we'll have time yeah all right well uh let's go to Emil Assad next we'll keep it in midfield and then we'll we'll end up coming back to Maryland uh before the end of the segment um we we've mentioned him a lot uh in in specifically his move to the number eight spot in these last two games uh which I was not expecting to be super successful as like okay he'll he'll fill in but he looks like a natural to the point that I like I'm opening question openly questioning in my head whether he's not just a number eight now after two games, which is admittedly a little crazy uh, on my part, but he has been committed. He has been um, really active and been good in those two spots, uh, helping the team get forward. And he's been getting back in defense. He's been a true two way player. Um, We've always known his pressing was was very good, but he's shown that he can be a positional defender in midfield now uh, in in a 4-4-2, which is the simplest way to do it. But 
I mean, he's he's done it in that situation. Um, and it wouldn't be the first time we've seen an attacking midfielder drop further and, and have success. Benny Failhaber played a number six for for several years for Kansas City uh, at a very high level, which, again, was not something I would have expected, but it worked. Um, with Edison Flores back, with Julian Gressel, with Kevin Paredes and Griffin Yao needing minutes, and with Paul Areola coming back maybe before the end of this year, who knows? Is Yamil Assad, should we just pencil him in as a central midfielder now in our brains instead of a wide or attacking midfielder? No. Um, I think it's very similar to what Paul Areola did last year when oh, he was I think, I think Yamil's been much better than Paul was in, in centrally. I, I, I disagree. I, I think it's been, he's had two good games, but it's been two games. Um, I think that he's, yes, he's played well, but I, I think it's a, a, it's out of necessity right now. And uh, I don't think that, well, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I've never talked to the guy, but uh, just like Ariola did it out of necessity, but never, he, it seems like through interviews, he didn't want to play there permanently. Who knows what uh, Demil Assad wants to do? It, does he want to play there permanently? Does he want to go back out to the mid, to the uh, to the wings and and see his future there and is just doing this right now because it's where the team needs him? Um, I think in a in a world where uh, this team doesn't have as many injuries and is built for uh, the season that they want to have, he's not in central midfield uh maybe he I changes said that, that going a week forward. ago but i think his performances there have been good enough that we should at least consider it if, especially if he's open to it well certainly only if he's he's open to it um i I, I, am... I think i think his his touch his passing his movement everything about his game is more suited to central midfield than paul Ariola's. Paul Ariel was a an outside player playing centrally. His first touch is an outside player's first touch. Yamil Assad's is not. Yamil Assad can touch the ball and control it right dead at his feet in a way that Paul Ariola had trouble doing. Um, he can receive the ball in tight spaces in a way that Paul Ariola is not accustomed to. I think Assad is much better suited to the number eight. And that game against Philly was it, like the first thing that popped to mind was Benny Failhaber's transition into a number six because of that. And that, that was, that might've been horribly premature on my part, but I think the parallels are there. I, I, I am, I am not there with you at all. I thought they were good performances, but I, I still see him as an outside player. Even with the year he's had where he hasn't been great on the outside or at the number because, 10. Because it also happened with a coaching change and maybe he just wasn't vibing on what Ben Olsen was doing, but it happened. Like you say it happened when he moved in the center. It could also have been, it happened when Ben Olsen was let go and Chad Ashton came in. I, I think for me, uh, I mean, I think we all agree there are pretty good performances. Maybe there's yeah, a degree, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, a degree of goodness that is up for grabs. But um, I, I think one thing that's occurring to me is that this was something of a surprise for Philadelphia and Cincinnati. 
Um, there is not a lot of Yamil Assad in the middle of a 4-4-2 central midfield uh, <laughs> tape. Um, so I think to some degree, United might have... Uh, I'm not saying I think it's what's happening. I'm saying we have to allow for the possibility that given a week to scout DC's last two games that Atlanta might be better prepared, uh, assuming that they want to stick with the same formation, which we've got um, Steve Goff reported that Jordi Reyna is back in training now. Russell Canales is back from suspension. So all of a sudden DC has the amazing luxury of like maybe 20 fit players um, <laughs> and maybe not having to play two central midfielders because they're the only two guys on the team that have uh, any real time there. Um, but, uh, no, I think, I think they're at the worst, um, assuming that this was an ambush and that he played really well, but will be found out over time. If that's the, if, if that's the case, I still think he becomes an option, uh, as, as the number eight, regardless of, you know, if it's four, four, two, if it's, it's probably not going to be four, four, two in next season. Uh, I really doubt they're going to find a coach that wants to play this formation. I think some of it is just DC has healthy forwards and little else. So you got to play two forwards. Um, And it it kind of, it's kind of a formation that's based on who showed up today. Um, Like a, like your rec league game. It's like, well, we got two goalkeepers and only, uh, only one center back. So I guess one of you guys is going to have to pretend. Um, So I, I will say that uh, he did really well, especially the union game because they, the union switched to a diamond. They clogged that up. And when I saw that on paper, I was like, this is not, this is not a good recipe for DC United. Um, and they got a draw out of that game and it wasn't a fluke. Um, they had the better of the expected goals. Uh, Yamil Assad took a Galazzo from, it took literally the goal of the week. To, right. from, to from a guy that's the not going to score that goal again, like Mark McKenzie is really, really good. He doesn't shoot. He doesn't take that shot. He might score that goal one more time in his entire professional career. Well, um, and I yeah. think there's a, it might have even skied it had, had it not deflected off of Briant on the way in. the The Perhaps. trajectory definitely changed. Um, so who knows? But but Assad's play, I think, has been a real positive in these two games, and I want to see more. Um, but at the same time, if everyone's healthy and the decision is like, well, let's get him um, or may- maybe let's play some sort of 4-3-3 and he's in one of those roles, I would feel like that's maybe more of a path forward. That's m- maybe got better a better chance of success. On the other hand, given that DC is still in the midst of uh, uh, injury shortages all over the place, I don't know that there's too much of a chance of a four, three, three specifically because you've got three healthy number nines who can't really play wide. <laughs> um, and so at a certain point, you've got to just accept that one of those guys is, or two of those guys are up front and the rest of the formation has got to sort from there. But um, I, I do think he did really well. I think there is the potential for this to be something that he can do on a regular basis. Um, but if, if you had six months from now, Jason come to me and be like, it didn't really work with Assad and central midfield. I'd be like, okay, fine. Um, we'll see if the way he's played in the last two games, I feel like Ashton kind of has to give him another shot at it, um, uh, this coming weekend, um, just to see if it's real or if it was a trick, uh, of just catching a team that was not ready for it. But, um, I do think he is playing better regardless of position. Um, I think there is something to what Ben's saying that, um, 
I, I don't know that he was, I think he's one of the guys that maybe was enjoying the game the least. Um, and he just wanted, he wanted the team to take some chances and if they lose, they lose. But um, the fact that the team's mindset now opens the door for him to try some things to, to, you know, switch fields uh, and, and go for it that way. And it doesn't have to, if it doesn't work out, it's not going to be the only chance he's going to get the entire game to make this pass. Um, I think that's helped a lot. I think psychologically he looks uh, like someone who has been refreshed and just relaxed in a way that he hasn't been really all year. So it could be that it could really just be as much as that. It could be, he's in a better place mentally playing in a system where it's like, look, man, let's just go out and try and score some goals and see what happens. Um, he might be feeling it. Yeah. I think being a little bit deeper might actually, well, I'll say being in the number 10 spot where he doesn't just press the defenders all the time. Uh, he's almost playing when DC United had a lot of the ball against Cincinnati. He was almost playing it the way Federico Iguain would play before he was traded in Miami and the few appearances he had where he'd drop almost into that fullback spot and pick up the ball and just look to ping it around or cross change the field or whatever, but play that quarterback role kind of, which is not something we've, we've seen a lot of outside of Iguain in DC this year. It's something Lucho used to do too sometimes. Um, and it's something that dates back, like his reputation before he got to MLS was someone who had played a lot of 10 uh, and it was when he signed with Atlanta, it was like, well, he's a 10, but he can also play on the left. Um, and then they, they also had Miguel Almiron. So it was like, well, you're going to play, but it'll be on the left because of this other guy. Um, and he did really well. And then he came to DC and he did really well. Um, but uh, I do think that maybe under Olsen, there was a sort of, you get kind of boxed in. And the idea, the, he had that one game playing the point of the diamond. Uh, I believe is the one time he played centrally all season. Um, and it didn't go too badly. It was a different role is less passing and more pressing, but um, I think maybe this is some of it too, is just, you know, we haven't seen it and he hasn't done it in a while, but it's not necessarily completely foreign to him. I think after the game um, in the, the post game, he did say that it's maybe not his natural position, but he can definitely do it. He felt comfortable. So um yeah, it's maybe one of these things where we also have to sort of accept that maybe we didn't have a full understanding of everything he can do, um, every role, or not just every position he can play, but every role he can inhabit. Because what Adam's talking about, that's a whole different thing from being a pressing outside-in uh, wide man uh, in the four-two-three-one. It's a very different job. Um, and a lot of times in MLS, we see players who can do a couple things really well, and that's about it. But maybe he has this like whole different uh, role within his, uh, you know, his, his uh, capabilities. It, it could be, we just haven't seen it because he just wasn't given the chance to give it a shot. Do want to shout out Donovan Pines. I said, we'd be coming back to Maryland uh, two goals in these two games, uh, including a very heads up uh, capitalization of a yes. gift. Um, we've, we've got to talk about that goal at least. Yeah. Just the, I mean, I it, it was a, the freak, both of these, I, I guess the second one's not technically an assist from Yamil Assad, but they were both dead balls served by Yamil Assad. Um, the goal against Philly was Donovan Pines uh, running toward the near post and getting to the ball first, which is a deceptively simple strategy, which I would like to see more of. Uh, have the big man run at the ball. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> um, the second goal, uh, 
Assad was Hilarious. at the back post. Uh, since he's goalkeeper comes out, I don't know if he saw an opportunity for a counter and, or if he thought that is part of it or or, or what, but he, he decides to catch the ball and then realizes that he's catching the ball as he's falling backwards out of bounds, not wanting to give up the corner kick. He tries to hold the ball over the line to, as his body goes out, then he slips and drops it anyway. And the ball rolls out of his hand, falls down straight down onto the line. Pines takes a touch and then rolls it into the goal. It was beautiful, as 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 I've as I saw it, and it it almost felt like he was a drunk person, like whose phone slipped out of their hand, and as he was trying to grab it, he just spiked it into the ground. I've cut my hand doing that with a glass in the dishwasher. You know, the glass yeah. slips out of your hand; it's falling. You try to catch it, you know, smash like it. Glass yeah. all yeah. in your hand. Yeah, um, goalkeeper got a lot of glass in his hand on this one. Yeah. Yeah, he failed that one real hard. I, I think this is the worst goal conceded. As far as the worst goal conceded by an MLS team this year, I think this might be the worst of them, um, give or take some San Jose MLS's back games. Um, yeah, I feel I, – look, if, if it turns out that this guy, Bobby Edwards, who's young and the third stringer, uh, they had two injuries happen very one after the other, and all of a sudden he's in goal – um, if he turns out to be a jerk, then I will absolutely bring this up whenever possible and laugh about it. I don't know the first <laughs> thing about who he is. But as of now, assuming and maybe just hoping he's not a jerk, I feel bad for him more than anything. Yeah. Um, but it is a succession of mistakes. It's a He reads the ball poorly. He reads his own location in the world poorly. Um, he reads where the other guys are poorly because if he if he realized how far DC's players were from the ball, he just would have let it go. And that was after the game. I read some some Cincinnati quotes, and Yap Stam was like, he should have just let the ball go out. Um, and yeah. obviously hindsight twenty twenty, but also like that's an easy one. <laughs> that's an easy yeah. problem to solve because yeah. uh, Assad did not deliver a good ball. He overhit it when he when he put that ball in, and I was watching it. As soon as it left his foot, I was like, ah, oh, come on, man! It's like the <laughs> end of the half. Um, it's a good opportunity in a game that it was having absolutely nothing happening. Um, let's be fair; that first half was. Just it wasn't that people were trying to play defensive; it just no one was succeeding at doing anything interesting. Yeah, um, Seattle was, or Cincinnati rather had done a good job of parking the bus. Why they wanted to park the bus against DC at home is a completely other question. But they had succeeded I mean, in they, doing it. I think the answer is that Cincinnati, despite the standing saying otherwise, Cincinnati is actually worse than DC United. Um, yeah, I, I feel pretty confident in saying that having had the displeasure of seeing them play several of the games. Um, they are just trying not to get embarrassed out there, and this is all they really can do. Um, but yeah, it's a series of errors that he should never have made. Um, I feel bad for him at this point. I'm glad that Pines didn't. It's such a gigantic error that I'm glad that Pines was like, ball's still in, guys. Uh, I'm, gonna, <laughs> right? I'm, gonna, I'm going to kick it in the goal, and we're going to see what happens afterwards. But there's and, no whistle, ball's in. Uh, what else am I going to do? And for a center back, like, he did a, his. He did a pretty good job with his feet. He like tapped it to his better foot and then and then smacked it, it in. Get, so get the angle, get a better angle, so that you don't miss it. Yeah, because that's the last thing that that highlight needed was a miss on an empty net afterwards. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah, I don't know if there was a clip a few weeks ago where um, it was like nine or ten mistakes from some UEFA Cup or Europa League. Excuse me, I'm very old. Um, <laughs> some Europa League qualifier in the which, like, Cup. 
every single instance of two people interacting with the ball ended with both of them doing something spectacularly bad. And in the end, um, the guy, the guy had a completely empty net from close range to shoot at, and he like hit the crossbar. It went past him, but then hit a retreating defender and then went in anyway. Um, <laughs> like you couldn't have scripted a, a better series of errors. And the last thing that mistake needed was for Pines not to put the ball away. So um, I'm glad he kept his head in the game because when a mistake of that caliber happens, it is tempting to just be like, oh my God. Like I can't even I can't even <laughs> right. think about what what else is happening around me. We just got I'm just gonna go back to where I was playing before. We're just gonna move on with the game. Um, but he, he was like, "Ball's there, empty, net's empty. You guys so gonna? I, I, I know. I, I'm here." He celebrated. He he ran off with his like his elbows in and his hands out, almost yeah. like he had blood on his hands. He's like, "What have I done?" <laughs> Which is the best way I can explain how any normal human would react. For God's sake, Montresor! I, I will say we do have to kind of acknowledge that that mistake is kind of a big deal for DC in this game, winning it because the way the game was going, something had to happen and it probably was going to, the way the game was being played, it probably was going to be a mistake by someone somewhere. Um, and so as much as we feel good about talking about a win, it was not, it was not as good a performance as against Philadelphia. Um and it was kind of a game that was drifting to nowhere until that happened. So um, that's a negative. I will say a positive is uh, Cincinnati got their goal. Chris Seitz, not his best work either, though it's more of a normal goalkeeping error than a, a you know, all-timer oh, that happened I mean, on the Cincy goal. Yeah, but, he, just, uh, he just boofed it and then got nine, yeah. then got uh, nine hold. Right. Um, but this is a this was a mental strength test for DC for the second week in a row where they'd had the better of it um, against Philly. They'd had the better of the game, but then they conceded first, so they had to come back. Um, in Cincinnati, they're playing a team that is was still realistically looking at a playoff spot. They're still in the hunt for real. Um, and they conceded one, and it should have been, okay, now Cincinnati's really going to make their push. And instead, it was D.C. that made the real push to try and win the game. Um, so from a, a mental strength standpoint, they are better than they were doing before because this was a team that, would concede badly in one way or another and then fall apart. So we're not seeing the fall apart anymore, which is nice. It's not, it doesn't mean that they're good now. It just means that they're no longer the worst team in MLS. I think the the table may say otherwise, but I think right now today, they're probably not worse. They're probably not even second worst. Hey, that is about as happy a note as I think we can end this podcast or this, this segment because it's 2020. We will be right back to talk about DC United's coaching search. Please stick around. It's filibuster. All right, say you're at work and uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to, uh, to assert your rights in that situation, whether a boss mistreated you, you were fired unfairly, uh, or, or, or something worse happens. Ben, in the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia, you know who to call, right? Yeah, you called the Ehrlich Law Office because you have rights. That's right. And your rights matter. And you deserve to be free from harassment. And you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, If you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper, and you're dealing with a 
a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect if you uh if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government call the ehrlich law office uh if you want a free consultation tell them we sent you go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. DC United are officially now in the early stages of the search to replace Ben Olsen as head coach. Um, and we're going to talk about it right now. I'm on record as wanting this to be a long and drawn out process. I, I don't think that's a unanimous feeling, but it sounds like that it's going to be at least a, a, a pretty thorough process, if nothing else. But I want it, I want it, you know, I, I said it last week on the show I, I wrote about it on black and red united i want this to be a period of deep introspection for the organization i want it to potentially include changes up and down the decision making ladder throughout the organization um who knows what's going to happen we we can't even speculate on that at that point at this point so uh instead we have some names being thrown around for the head coaching position which is obviously the most immediate uh concern um steve goff reported that at least 15 coaches are getting a look at this early stage of the process we know at least one person who's gotten a call so um i guess let's make sense to start with him right michael ensian uh head coach of fc tulsa who has a beautiful logo by the way gorgeous crest for fc tulsa um in usl's championship which is the second division of American soccer. He's been there since I think 2018 ended the season uh, last year or this year on, on a seven game winning streak, um, which is the longest in the franchise's history and got them into the playoffs for the first time in a few years. So um, he's a Tulsa native. He, I think he would be the first American born black coach if DC United were to hire him. Um, I, I have no idea what his tactical preferences are or anything like that but he's a name that's been thrown about around and we know that dc united has contacted him because fc tulsa confirmed it (laughs) (laughs) yes that is the most concrete information we have so we are starting there yeah you know tulsa did uh they had a decent season this uh this weird usl season that's taking place uh they finished in the playoff places so um they still have games to play um, if I'm not mistaken, or actually, no, I think they've been knocked out. Yeah, they got knocked out in, on penalties. Um, uh, I guess last week I just completely missed that. Um, right, in here. right. Um, but uh, Sorry, I can't say I can't say that I've seen them play more than once or twice in the Open Cup over the last couple of years. Um, covering, you know, watching you, my USL watching because of the conference setup where it's the East only plays the East and the West only plays the West means uh, I see plenty of Loudon and the teams uh, that Loudon plays in the East, but I don't really get around to the West all that much. Um, but I haven't heard anything bad. I will say that because there are other people, other people that cover uh, the other sites, for example, and I haven't heard anyone being like, wow, Tulsa's garbage or wow, Tulsa's very boring. Um, I do know that he's very young. Uh, I believe he's 35. Um, if, if that's, uh, yeah, or no, 39, excuse me. So, um, just barely. Oh, so ancient. 
just barely older than me. He probably feels better than I do because he's he looks like he's in better shape than I am. Um, he's in better shape whole, than all of us from, from the whole active lifestyle thing. Uh, it turns out that has benefits. Um, but he's yeah, a professional uh, athlete. He he did get he drafted did by the yeah, Galaxy. He, um, yeah, he, he moved on to the Timbers. He played in. Um, he was on the Nigerian under twenty threes. So um, that was back when the Timbers were USL. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But but still, um, I, I think the big thing here is that DC said they were going to try and make sure that they seriously evaluated some black candidates and the fact that we're early in the process. And it wasn't just, well, here's a name because it's easy to do that. It's easy to say like, well, here's a name we're considering. Cause you can always say you're considering a name. Um, it's very easy to say that. Um, but the fact that they've spoken to him and Tulsa has confirmed that he, he has spoken with them. Um, that's a step in the right direction. It obviously it's not going to fix, um, racism and, and uh, racial inequality throughout MLS, but given the standard around the league has been to not even really talk to black coaches. This is a, as sad as it is, this is a major step for DC United to have gotten it, gotten around to it right away rather than being like, Oh, and we'll talk to one, one dude just so that we could say that we had a real, um, uh, an inclusive search. Um, right. I don't know. There, there were other black, coaches named in, in Steve Goff's report. I know yeah. former DC United player Ezra Hendrickson was on there, among others. Um, and I, I I mentioned earlier that um, if NCN were to be hired, he would be the first American-born black coach. That's something that Pablo Maurer has been beating the drum of for years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, we, I, and we will, throughout this entire uh, process. We will talk a lot about the specific names, people like uh, SEN and uh, a lot of other people. But just in general, I'm just going to be super bummed uh, if DC United just hires another white man. And I just ho- hope they don't. I hope they have the vision and the forward thinkingness to just go some other direction, especially a- an American white man, just because. We know, like the Jason, the like the uh, the Jason Christ's of the mall. I also don't want Jason Christ to be the coach. No, I don't. <laughs> no, he, he's such a retread, and like without Garth Lagerway, he's he's useless. Uh, so, but I think that DC United can use this as such an inflection point, and can set the uh, set the organization on a new trajectory in a bunch of different ways, and that goes to specifically to the coaching search and not only just the on the field, but also the off the the field uh, 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 matters. And so, like I said, we'll talk today and, and for the next however many months until they hire somebody about the specifics. But personally, I, I want them to do something bold, do something different and not just hire another white male coach who's a retread or, something like that and you know unfortunately within mls and and within u.s soccer um the pool of those guys is very big it's maybe not very yeah. deep but it's big there's a lot of those guys around um yeah and this is a failing that u.s soccer has had altogether is that um their coaching licensing courses that the even just the ability or the inclination to reach out to players when they they retire and say hey did you know that 
uh, by playing professionally, you've already qualified to take our C license course. Like it's ready right. to go. They don't even tell players that. Um, this is a big and big thing in women's soccer where there was a stretch of time where I think Lori Kolopny was like the only player that had taken it. And she was like, I didn't know this program existed. I found it on accident. Um, and it kind of shamed U.S. soccer into getting some players together and um, in the off season and giving them their their C license course uh, out, ironically enough, at uh, Rail Salt Lake's training facility because the uh, disgraced former owner was happen happened to put up the money for them to uh, host that. Um, but the so point he's still is, the current owner, I think they haven't sold the that's team. That's true. Yet. Yes, disgraced current owner. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, this is the kind of thing that this is where U.S. soccer is at, is that um, an an ex-women's national team player who has lifted trophies with the national team has to find out through her own research on accident that this is a program available to her, much less to just someone who played MLS or just someone who played USL. Um, Because, you know, just because you only play at the USL level doesn't mean you're not going to be an excellent coach. there are like of, right. Um, uh, Arsene Wenger never really played at a high level and ended up revolutionizing soccer in England in the, in the 90s and early 2000s. So they these people are out there. And we're picking these because they're from the Premier League, so they get talked about a lot. But I guarantee if we looked at the Hungarian League or uh, the Chinese League, that someone's head coach, someone that's a head coach there didn't play top flight soccer or maybe didn't even play professional soccer. So um, the pool is very narrow on a lot of different fronts. Um, and this is also part of the work that if, if United is going to, you know, go with Ben where Ben's pushing them to say, like, let's have some real vision here and let's maybe not just do what every MLS club has been doing for many years now. Um, they're going to have to look outside of the normal pool and, Michael Ensian is is a it's a starting point because we're talking about a guy who is 39 and coaching USL soccer and maybe the reason that he hasn't been at a higher level yet is more people look at his youth and his lack of high level playing experience and they say well you know I'm chalking him off immediately um and there's a good chance like there's a probably a great chance that that is unfair on some level um so yeah this is uh it might seem, and it could still be lip service. Like this, all could be DC level yeah, yeah, yeah. emotion, so that we could say we did a good job. Um, and that's part of everyone that covers the team and and fans. We should all be trying to hold them accountable for this um, mm-hmm. to make sure that it does sound. You know, when when we've had a chance to speak with uh, Earl Edwards uh, a couple months ago, it sounds like, in his opinion at least, that DC is trying to walk the walk. Um, but you know it's easy to walk the walk for a few weeks and then go back to normal. Um, so it's something that fans need to keep on the team. Media needs to keep on the team. We need to keep on the team about it. Um, it doesn't mean that they absolutely have to hire outside of that pool necessarily, but it does mean that they have to actually seriously interview people. It can't just be, well, we did it. You know, we let them sit there and talk for 20 minutes and then we said, Oh, thanks for your time. Get out the door. Um, it can't be like that. It has to be a legitimate uh, interview. And maybe this if you're going to have someone in actually do it right, properly. Right. Do it for real. Give them a real chance to uh, earn the job. Um, and right. that and this goes... is something, Go ahead, this is something that 
is widely known as the Rooney rule because of the NFL's rule that right. any coaching position has, you have to interview a non-white candidate um, as part of that. And MLS has a similar rule on their books, but there's no data or transparency about its enforcement at all. And th there is no known enforcement yeah. mechanism. There right. is no punishment if you just don't bother. Um, right. So it, it, it's, I, I like that we are seeing this. I don't know if this was a leak from the team initially or, 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 or from NCN or from Tulsa or what, but um, I'm glad that it's out there. I'm glad that this is something it, that, that it better not be, it better not be a one-off either. Yeah. Um, that's the thing. Yes. It, right. I think um, the, the thing I was most disappointed with from, from Goff's report about this was that there were zero Latino candidates being considered. Uh, and there are good Latino coaches. And it goes to what you were talking about earlier, Jason, a failing of U.S. soccer, which oh, yeah. up and down from youth Latino. on up has, has failed Hispanic Latino players yes. in, in the United States and Latina players as well. Um, it's it's been a failing of U.S. soccer, uh, and I don't understand why it hasn't been a focus of theirs. I mean, I do, and it's a bad reason. Um, like, look, uh, you know, Hugo Perez, who played for the the national team, pretty famously was in charge of the U15s. Was very well respected. Uh, was maybe the most highly respected coach in the the youth national team program on the on the male side of the program, at least. Um, and basically was like they thought they they had a difference of opinion on how things should be done and he's been kind of boxed out ever since and he actually responded to a tweet uh on uh, uh one of pablo's tweets about this saying somebody threw uh, his name out there in a reply to pablo and yeah and he said yeah i'm ready and interested uh if someone gives me a call i i'm at, not I just think that, i have a plan <laughs> Right, right. So, and I mean, at um, that point, at least just interview him. Just yeah. why not interview him at that point? We're talking about a guy that is Salvadoran American, which this is DC United. Um, this should be right. something that's in the thought process for sure. Um, he's accomplished a lot, and by all rights, by all accounts, this is an excellent coach who has been not given his fair shake, uh, in part because of the way things are in soccer in the United States of America. So. Um, and again, if this is not interview the one guy and you're done, um, this should be but interview a, a lot of guys, right? And and, and, you know, and women. We're, we're still a lot in, of people. We're we're still in the stage where DC is trying to even sort out what their list is. Um, so we're still a ways away from anything really happening, but we are going to hear names, and uh, I definitely would like to hear names like the ones we've talked about and names from uh Liga MX and South America uh where the coaches are excellent and they would probably be interested in a league where you know the club isn't going to fold because the director uh the the club chairman is a lunatic and uh, all of a sudden like bet all his money on a horse or something like that um, or even they won't get relegated Right. There, there is some safety in MLS and some guarantees in MLS that is very appealing uh, for a lot of coaches out there. Like Tata Martino was overqualified to come to MLS. He came here because, I mean, yes, Arthur Blank can pay a lot of money, can and will pay a lot of money. Um, but he also came up here because uh, the lifestyle was going to be pretty good. He didn't have to worry about uh, the team's hardcore fans throwing rocks at his car. 
uh, things like that are, they're nice, it turns out. It turns out it's nice to live that way and not have to worry about physical violence because you lost uh, two to one uh, last weekend. So, um, yeah, I, I want to see them pursue those candidates because those guys have, those are, we're talking about coaches that are going to have a proven pedigree winning at leagues that are as good or better than MLS. And they're going to have ideas that aren't the same as we see in MLS, which um, I think we've gotten to the point in the league where having different ideas that are proven somewhere is, is a big plus. Um, yeah. And it doesn't have to be Tata. It can be Oscar Pereja who went to Mexico for a couple of years, changed some things about how he plays and has come back and has turned of all teams, Orlando city into a legitimate good team. I'm so you, bummed that Pereja came back when he did. If he had lasted one more year, or even just six and also, months at you know Cholos, how much... before he came back, I would he would be number one on my list for DC United. <laughs> and, and y'all it's know not how close. much like, I want. I want Oscar. I want El Profe here. And y'all know how much Orlando being good pains me. It's a bummer. You, you know. You know. It's a bummer. And they're not just effective; they're stylish. Like if, I know, Jason. That, Jason, that stop. Soccer, you would be happy. Yes, uh, I know. Stop, stop, stop. It pains me. I, I only bring him up as an example because there are plenty of other coaches in Spanish-speaking countries that are that would be able to have this kind of success. But you do have you do have to show them that it would be worth their time because these are also coaches that can go somewhere else and do well there too. Um, this is a difference between recruiting the Jason Crisis of the world, who realistically don't have a lot of options. Um, if Jason Christ doesn't get an MLS job, he gets hired by Inter Miami to run their USL League One team. Um, those are his options. Uh, and I want DC to get out there and compete. Um, right. An up and coming USL manager like Michael Encian is very different than a USL manager like yes. Jason Christ, like yeah. who has had experience in MLS and flamed out horribly at his last two gigs in MLS. Or, you know, one name that's come up in attachment with DC has been Richie Williams. Um, Richie did a decent job with Loudon in extremely bizarre circumstances. Uh, as far as that team putting a roster together pretty much right before that season started. Um, but it was not the kind of soccer I think that fans want to see. Um, and he's been around for a while and he's interviewed for several MLS jobs and teams haven't opted to go his way. And I think it's ultimately because the brand of soccer we're going to be talking about there is going to be on the conservative side. Um, He does have history at DC United that should matter to some degree with some of, with some of the names that are going to be out there. But um, there is a difference between uh, going back to someone who just left your organization to go work as an assistant with new England um, and going to someone who's maybe, you know, John Harks, for example, has sort of made his own path. Uh, the options weren't here uh, for him. And so he went out FC Cincinnati uh, in their first year was very good with him. Uh, Greenville is basically running the table in USL league one this year. Um, That's where he's coaching now. So um, yeah, I, I want to see the team get out there and, and compete for serious options rather than just circling back to the same old, same old. And it, and it Jason crisis. Yeah, I mean, we keep bringing him up, but it's because I think he's emblematic of a set of MLS coaches who 
you know, Dom, people have mentioned Dom Kinnear, and I felt the same way. It's just, no, oh, oh. <laughs> Ben's having a visceral reaction. Uh, Th- those are my Dom Kinnear op- opinions. Yeah, um, because it's not 2004 anymore. Well, yeah, and, and if you want the team to play better attacking soccer, these are not guys that you're going to bring in. Um, just because they did win in the past in the league and have been around the league ever since, they're not going to have changed radically in that amount of time. Um, right. Dom Kinnear's now an assistant, what, at LA? Yeah, in the Galaxy. Like, uh, that, Dom Kinnear is an assistant coach, A+. plus. Like, I think we, we talked about this um, when, when we talked about what could come next after the, the Olsen firing. Seattle's got a bench of assistant coaches that's just ridiculous. You have Preki, who used to be a head coach. You have Gonzalo Pineda, who's apparently the tactical guy. Yeah. I'm, their, I'm very interested in DC United trying to talk to Gonzalo Pineda, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, having assistant coaches like that is a level of investment above and beyond, like yeah. the head coach, and that's something that I would like to see as well. But you got to have the guy, uh, that that sure. first guy, right? And or like, or a woman. And like, with some of these coaches, we know pretty much what they can do at the head coaching level, like the uh, Dom Kinnears of the world. We know what Dom Kinnear is going to do for the most in broad strokes at the head coaching level. Gonzalo Pineda has never been a head coach before. He he would be worth interviewing and seeing what he might want to do at a head coaching level. So there's a bunch of, there's different levels of, of head coaching options, even Preki. We know what Preki can do at a head coaching level. Uh, some people might like that. I think it's a little, uh, uh, 2009 uh but maybe some maybe somebody wants that i don't want that for dc united but there are a bunch of up-and-coming assistant coaches that have never had a shot before that are worth looking at right yeah and then you i was just going to throw in that pineda played uh for mexico for years um and so that's a different experience than the guy, this the standard U.S. soccer option has. They do not have an experience like that. Um, the Peter and, Vermeeses of the world, if we don't want to keep dunking on Jason Christ. Yeah, I mean, at least Peter Vermees had a vision. Um, yeah, hey, Peter, Peter, Peter Vermees is a much better coach than yeah, Jason um, Christ. But yeah, uh, you know, Pineda, everyone has been saying they want someone that is uh, more obviously a tactician. Um, and if that is his role within Seattle's coaching staff, I would point out to the fact that Seattle keeps winning games despite looking on paper like they're going to do the same thing over and over again, which means they are outthinking teams on a regular basis without catching them by surprise, without a bunch of ambushes. It's just, you know, they've figured out how to adapt their style of play to everyone they face and have repeated success. And you start to think, well, I wonder who's, you know, crafting this and, it sounds like Pineda has got a big part of it. And um, you're not going to, and you're not going to get Brian Schmetzer. So you, you right. may want to look so, at so his he staff. Is apparently out of contract. Uh, so you're not going to get, yeah. you're sure. not going to get Brian Schmetzer. I don't think lifelong Seattle sounder, Brian Schmetzer wants <laughs> to leave town all of a sudden. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think he's, uh, there are very interesting options out there and it's in, incumbent on DC United to not just, look at the same old guys it, it can't be right. that the same old we haven't guys. we we haven't talked about the the two biggest names 
mm-hmm. on the list yet. Neither of whom is <sighs> I don't uh, want to. in in MLS don't, retread. You can't I, make me. We're you we're gonna mention me. Jill <laughs> Jill Ellis and David Wagner. Um, we at least have to at least nod in their direction. I know longtime listeners to this podcast will know that um, we haven't always had a very high opinion of Jill Ellis's tactical acumen. She has won two World Cups, which uh, I, I don't say lightly. I think that she's absolutely worth interviewing and bringing in and saying, what, what do you think? What, what do we do with Moses Nyman? What's your plan for him? What's your plan yeah. for the other homegrowns? How do you want to play the game? She's worth interviewing. I think the fact that she doesn't have club experience and that she doesn't have a ton of experience not having a huge talent advantage is why you interview her. That's why you don't just offer her the job. Right. <laughs> sure, yeah. But, but you, you bring her in. You have to, right? If yeah, she's interested if, at all, you bring her in. Yeah, if she if she wants if she's interested, you've got to interview her. Like, just on resume alone, like mm-hmm. yeah, we can we can quibble about her uh, tactics and things, but on resume alone, you've got to interview her. Um, and she yeah, might not I, be I, interested. Like, she might not want oh, yeah. this job, or that, that... or she she doesn't feel the need to coach a club team and that's perfectly valid right. obviously I mean, if, yeah if i were but her, if I don't she know. wants to she's interested talk to her yeah i mean the reason she would want to coach a men's club team is she'd probably make far more money than she's ever made in her career which is awful on a whole its bunch own of other, other levels <laughs> right yeah exactly <laughs> she should have been making as much to more money than Jurgen Klinsmann, for example, but that's a whole nother thing. Um, but yeah, we have no idea if she's even interested. Like the, the her name keeps popping up. Uh, she went to uh, William and Mary. Uh, she has Virginia and and local connections. But yeah, we don't have any actual information if she's interested or not. But yeah. Despite everything, you've got to interview her. That, that that's not even a question. If she if she wants an interview, you gotta you gotta. And and you know this is something that I think uh, Ben Olson and Jill Ellis took uh, the I, I can't remember. I think it's the USSF Pro License course together. Um, they were in the same group. Um, so he had very kind words to say about her specifically. I think it was uh, actually it's her and Pareja are the two coaches I remember him specifically bringing up from time to time over that course that, um, you know, the rest of the group was kind of the rest of the group. And those are the two other coaches that he's mentioned out of, at, you know, singled out for having interacted with them um, in a positive way. Um, so, yeah, I think having covered those national teams, I think there are some real tactical questions that would need to be explained uh, in depth that she's never offered uh to the public. Um, I've, I've sat in on a couple of sessions that she's given at the coaches convention. Not that there will be one this year, but in the past when it was safe to do them, um, well, there, there will be one, but it's all digital. Um, so you can't go to it. Um, but yeah, I've, I've tried to solve the mystery because a lot of it is kind of mystifying. Uh, I'm not, uh, trying to pretend that it wasn't, uh, it was very, the, some of the tactical decisions and some of the, roles given to specific players were kind of a throwback uh to a bygone era of i'm just going to pick my 11 best soccer players and that's how it's going to work um the games moved way past that and 
I, I'm of the opinion that both of those World Cups should have been a breeze for the national team. Um, there was no one close to their talent level. France at France with a uh, Parisian in, intense Parisian crowd should have been an easy game or not an easy game, but you know, it, talent wise, it shouldn't have been a worry. They should have been like, we are the better team coming in here. Um, and not just because we have more talent, but also because we should be better coached. Cause uh, if you've been following women's soccer closely enough, you know that um, Corinne Diacre is not doing a bang up job coaching the French women's team right now. She just left arguably her best player out for no apparent reason other than to be mean to her. Um, it, it, it seems so, like that is a, uh, that, that's a theme of uh, French national team coaches, both men yes. and women. The, being, the French being Federation odd. is kind of a mess. Uh, it turns out despite their success, uh, it's covering up a lot of things. And maybe that's, kind of something happening with the women's national team here under Ellis is that despite the success, it kind of papered over some tactical issues that I think MLS is geared to be unkind to um, because you're not going to be able to assemble a women's national team level talent gap between you and everyone else. It will not happen in MLS. It, it has never happened in MLS. It certainly won't about... happen at DC United. Right. Although and if, it, if, if... The 98 DC United team that I think is the best MLS team of all time wasn't that much better than the rest of right. the league that year. They didn't even win MLS Cup that year. Um, this is not a league that will allow for those kind of judgment errors. But as much as I've said all that, I think no coach that's been mentioned in this will have anywhere near an easy time handling the pressure of the job because – Jill Ellis's expectations with the women's national team was to win every single game against anyone anywhere. Um, By multiple goals. Right. Losing a game meant the entire national media covering it was against you. Meant you might have a player revolt because the women's national team players are very quick to be like, this isn't going to work. Like, you got to go. They right. had, before Jill Ellis, they had yeah, chased they, a previous coach away. And they, yeah, they almost hired Tom Um So, uh yeah, I think from a uh, dealing with the day-to-day pressure of the job and, and performing at the highest level that the coaching candidate can, I think she's going to have an easy time with that because there is no spotlight in American soccer quite like head coach of the one national team that we expect to win 100% of their games. We don't That doesn't happen. Um, and I do think that, you know, coaching a club, it does bring out different aspects of your coaching style that never were tested with the national team. Um, the national team pool of players is what it is. Uh, you have a group of players that you're limited to them. You can sort through them and that's it. The club coaching uh, perspective is you can go get new players. You can, you can have a player that's a problem. You can get rid of them. You can say, I don't want this player on the team anymore. And it's not that big. I mean, it might be a small, big deal, but it's not as big a deal as if she had said, I don't want Carly Lloyd on the team anymore because that would have been a huge thing and it, be, it would have become a real problem politically with us soccer within the, the locker room, all that it's a, you might have locker room problems, but you're not going to have the entire national soccer audience screaming at you because you decided that uh, the attacking midfielder had to go and you replace them with somebody else. Um, so, yeah, I think there are qualities that she's got that are way ahead of just about any name that's been out there. Um, there are also some qualities where I would have, some real pause about the actual day to day. But none of that is to say that she shouldn't interview. She's won two world cups. Who else, who else are they going to interview that has won two world anything? Um, so yeah, you, you absolutely interview her. You absolutely give her 
a genuine shot at explaining exactly what she's going to do with DC United next year, as well as the years to come. And you, you know, you line them up. You say, is this, was this the best plan? And if it is, then it is. Um, it could be a really groundbreaking thing um, for a men's professional team in America to get coached by a woman. Um, it would be pretty awesome. So that aspect, I think we can't underrate that aspect of it either. Um, it's kind of one of those things where if, if, if two candidates are tied, maybe you want to go in her direction instead because of what else it could do. Um, but, you know, there are some misgivings about the specifics of how she handled the actual coaching of a soccer team that it can't be avoided. The other big name is David Wagner, um, most recently of the the dumpster fire that is Schalke. Uh, before that, bringing Huddersfield Town up into the Premier League and keeping them there for a year, despite all expectations, before everything imploded. Um, he's best friends with Jurgen Klopp. He is American by virtue of his stepdad, I think. He played for the U.S. national team, but he was born and raised in Germany. Um, he He's generally well-regarded and in line for a coaching position somewhere, uh, whether that's in Germany and back in England, somewhere else on the continent or in the U.S. It remains to be seen. But he's basically going to be connected with every MLS job opening until he has a new job, I think. Um, yeah. His his style of play is is pretty close to Klopp's. He wants to counter press, gegen press, if you you want to use the cool German word for it. Um, he also has a reputation of developing young talent uh, really well. Weston McKinney came up under him, and even though he was deployed in many different positions, uh, he played a similar role and knew what he wanted to do and was sold to Juventus. So that's a success story, I would say. Anytime you're selling to a club of that stature, even if I'm I'm not Juventus's biggest fan of their history or <laughs> recent or 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 distant, but they are a big club and that is undeniable. Um, I would if if I've heard I I've seen reported that DC United's interest in David Wagner is real. They're not just putting his name out there as kind of a look. We're 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 thinking big. Uh, they actually do want to bring him in and talk to him. Uh, so, what are your guys' thoughts? on on the former Shaka manager. I don't have any I mean, strong oh go ahead, ben. go ahead, Ben. Yeah, I was I, I also don't have any strong thoughts, but I mean he's got a good resume. So I think you if if he's interested, I I mean you definitely have to interview him. Uh and I wouldn't be mad about that hire. If 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 they went through all of the all of the uh interviews and decided that uh somebody who got a chance in the Bundesliga, even if it didn't go well, uh, if they brought him to MLS, I, I think that's, that's a pretty good call. So. Yeah. I, I mean, be mad about it. How many times has someone with Bundesliga and premier league experience recently come to coach in MLS since the first year of MLS, you had a couple, you know, um, a couple guys come in to collect the paycheck basically. Um, that had that kind of reputation. But since then, it it does not happen a lot. Um, right. And the fact that, yes, Schalke looked bad in his last year and had a record-breaking losing streak, but also look at Schalke's off-the-field situation is the kind of thing where I don't know who is going to coach that team and do well. Um, 
getting Huddersfield to the Premier League was no joke. That was not a team that was expecting yeah. to get promoted. Um, and then that was not a team that was supposed to stay up at all. They were supposed to spend their one year being like, well, we got here, and then immediately head back down. Um, so he's obviously – he's achieved some things, even though the exposure to him, if it's just wins and losses – you know, his last his last year at Huddersfield and his last year at Schalke don't look good. Um, but that's still a higher challenge as a coach than anything MLS is going to throw at you. Um, so, yeah, it's another instance where they should absolutely look at him. Uh, they should absolutely consider, you know, is this team adaptable to his style of play? Uh, can he explain how that would happen? And if it is, then, yeah, uh, uh, absolutely uh, consider him pretty strongly because, like I said, Premier League and Bundesliga on your resume at his age, at this point in his career, that's not a thing you get in MLS. You don't get to hire those guys uh, very often. If yeah, ever. he's not an old guy. Right. What, he's like early 40s? Somewhere in there, yeah, 45, I want to say. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, I know one thing I've seen said is that in the case of Jill Ellis and, and David Wagner in particular, this would be DC United being interviewed as much as the other way around. Yeah. And I think that's the way yeah. any, any coach that you're going to want is going to want to know that you will provide the resources. You don't want a coach to come in and just say, I will take this job no matter what. Um, we don't need any investment in the team. We don't need any changes or I don't want any say in personnel. You want ambition in a coach and you want someone who's going to come in and say, this is what I want. This, this is what I need to succeed. And I, I think David Wagner, I think Jill Ellis, I think anyone else uh, worth their salt is going to make those column demands, column necessities, whatever, uh, very clear. And that's that's what you want uh, as a team. So um, I think that's going to do it for for this week's show. Before we get out of here, we want to send our love to Daryl Grove and his wife Shannon and his co-host Taylor down in Richmond at the the total soccer show. Um, some frankly devastating news um, in the last week uh, about Daryl's condition. He's been fighting colon to liver cancer. Um, and uh, the doctors have now said that they've done all they can and he's home in hospice care. Um, and I'm, I've only met Daryl once and I'm crying right now <laughs> as I tell you this. Um, just, I've, I, I've I've met him a couple of times and he's just he's a wonderful person. Yeah, he he had he had an impact on anyone who's ever hosted a soccer podcast in this country in the last decade plus. Uh, yeah. uh it probably owes a debt to to Daryl and Taylor, um, the work they've done at the Total Soccer Show. Um I've got nothing but love and kind things for them, and I'm I'm heartbroken and devastated and uh, feeling a sense of loss for someone I've met literally one time. And that's the, I'm a, I'm a longtime listener to the show. Um, and it's just, it, they're the best and it's really sad. Um, so um, yeah, just love for, for the total soccer show and for, for Daryl in particular right now. Um, that is it for, for us tonight. Um you know where to find us on Twitter and email. I'm not going to read the list tonight. Um, I'll just say goodnight.